Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Do you want to hear something spooky? Some monster was standing there. It reminded me of Bigfoot. In walks a tall, gray alien. One of the teenage boys started to exhibit signs of textbook demonic possession. I'm Derek Hayes, host of Monsters Among Us podcast. This pure all-white entity staring straight at me. Where there should have been eye sockets, there weren't. Monsters Among Us is an anthology of real paranormal stories told by real witnesses. I never really believed in this blackness monster nonsense, but something very snake-like lifted its head out of the water. A giant black triangle. It was so big that it blotted out the stars. And I saw what looked like a huge monster. I could see the outline of hair. New episodes of Monsters Among Us drop every Thursday. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Somehow I had lost eight whole hours. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes <laughs> Podcast. What the fuck? I put my hand over here and I hit your hand and I was like, well, now I'm going to hold her hand. Aww, let's do it again. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. <laughs> Yanks my hand, lifts <laughs> up the Morgan. mic. Hi, guys. Th- happy Thursday. This is just for my own account, episode 135. Who the fuck knows? 135. I got it right now. <laughs> I got it for 35. This is 135. 135. 135. That we are pre recording. Yes. This is two out of the three that you're going to be hearing pre recorded. Because I'm worldwide. Worldwide, baby. She's Mr. Worldwide. Mrs. Worldwide. Miss Independent. Promiscuous girl. What? Oh, I mean, did we just make a really bop remix type of situation? Slay. Yeah, I think 100%. I wish you guys could have been a fly on the wall these last two weeks. Hell weeks. We are Delusional. so confused. We're, we're, we blacked out. We have no idea it's, what we've recorded. It's blurred. No idea. There's no memory. What even happened? Did we even record anything? I mean, let's literally put it like this. Today is our last day of recording for the pre-recordings. And <laughs> Anthrax has not even gone out yet. 134 has not even been released. No. And it won't be released for a whole I'm two so days. I'm so scared. I told Morgan, I was like, I tried to go through and organize it. <laughs> Whenever Poor we- Patreon. Poor I'm, Patreon. <laughs> Whenever we went, we finished our Patreon. So Patreon got split and then like revamped and- Split again. Re- split again and then revamped, revamped. Again. And whenever she went to save it, she was like, okay, what is this P35? And I said, hmm. I think it's been P35 for the last three episodes. It's been P35 for years. And she was like, 
Okay, but that's what we did apparently to every episode that we recorded. Every episode is P35. And so there's no telling, like, if you guys might hear anthrax four weeks in a row. No, really. Ashley would catch it. She'd be like, girls, I think that's the- Incorrect. That's wrong. That is wrong. Good fucking try, though. Good luck. You tried to be slick. It was very smart. You tried to submit the same episode for two weeks We just switch up the intros every time. So you guys are listening. Yeah, she's listening to a new intro and then she, we're like, let's get creepy. And then so all today, of a sudden it's like, today we're going to be covering anthrax. It, what even is today? Today will be Fermi Paradox and Spas. Oh, this is my favorite episode. This one's a really, really good episode. Like this one I'm really proud of for Morgan. It's really good. For me, I'm, I've been really nervous about Spies. I've moved her I around like a spies. lot. It's a but really good Spies has, has been thrown around quite a bit. And Spies was handwritten. So I can't wait to get to that spot. Oh my God, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. But oh, also there's something that has to do with this episode that was like, we need- we wanted to do it for 420. Oh, yeah. Is and that what you that's were, what is it that was. Where you're going? This was supposed to be for 420. So there's like a few things that we've talked about that you'll hear us talk about in the episode. Then we ended up being like, it was mainly me being really nervous about some things. I mean, hell, who even knows? It might not even be spies. You might listen to it and be like, what the fuck is she talking about with spies? And be like, Taylor went back and listened to it and she changed it and re-recorded an entire episode without Morgan and pulled reactions from Morgan's from past episodes and well, plugged all, it in. All you would have to pull is, <gasps> girl, oh my what? God. No, I don't say you girl, don't say girl. I say, what? Oh my God. No, it's me. Or you'll be like, holy shit. Holy shit. What? Or also, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Wait, wh- where are they from? I'm like, I don't know, Morgan. That's that's the dad? Yeah, yeah. Who's that again? (laughs) That that is exactly what I would add. You always do throw around a lot of names. I do be tossing around lots of names. Yeah. All the time. And a lot of them are always like Tommy, Tom, and Thomas. All three different people. Yeah. I'm like, okay, Tommy's who? Oh, my God. Oh, okay. But back to what I was saying about poor Patreon. Guys, Patreon such troopers. You guys are so amazing. It's why you're the best. It's why the OG pick me is. It's why we love you. You guys have really taken this so good because it has been crazy on their end. So their episode ended up being late because I had to attend my husband's grandfather's funeral. Then Morgan had to work that whole weekend. So anyways. And Patreon was blessed with the birds aren't real conspiracy theory. That's and what I was about to say. The birds aren't real. And if you guys haven't heard that, then you need to go. You've subscribe got to, to go. Patreon. And it was our 420 week celebration. Yeah. It really is a mind fuck. So definitely. We were go. really geeking out. <laughs> yeah, we were. It's a great episode. If you're not a Patreon member, you can go to patreon.com slash creeps and crimes and you can pick if you want to be a part of the pour that shit up or let's get creepy. AKA the $10 tiers are big money balling bitches. <laughs> yeah. We have been keeping up with our one good thing. We haven't said our one good thing today. You want to yeah, say did. on mic? Did I haven't sent my during our meeting. We said this is our one good thing. Oh, we had a great meeting today. That was our one good thing. That's my one good thing. Yeah, that's my great. No. And and guys, the type of meeting we had today was like not the type of meeting that we used to look forward to. Yeah. And we were like, so we weren't dreading it by any means, but we were just like, you know, nervous. It was such a fantastic meeting. So <laughs> what do you, what have you noticed saying your one good thing every day, though? Oh, my God. I feel like I'm so much more positive. 
Me too. You know, like just voicing it. And also like one thing that we did, like both of us were having really hard days on. Mine was Friday. Mine was Saturday. I got my shit rocked on Friday. Right. Yeah. We still did our one good thing. And then when we were both having a bad day or like a bad time at that point in time, we still implemented a time for us to like say it to each other. But instead of bitching it to each other, it was more of like, I just need to get this off my chest and say it to someone. And you're that person for me. It was a really good balance. And like, it didn't make me feel like I was bitching or like moaning or being upset about something like. Yeah. And everything that we have said to each other, we've also like rounded about with something positive. On that note, if you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Okay, today I will be talking about something called the Fermi Paradox. Okay. I regret it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's going to be good. Before I begin, do you ever just go down this wormhole of like how small we are in this universe? Yeah. For me, it's that one video that pops up on social media, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, where it starts at like a person and it continues to zoom out and out and out into beyond our galaxy, into other galaxies, into other universes. And you're like, fuck, what are we? No, that shit. Immediately tripping. Tripping Existential crisis. Tripping literal dicks. Especially if you're high as fuck. Oh my God. Yeah. Good luck if you see that when you're high. Or if you're questioning life and you're like, what the fuck are we? What the fuck? We're literally nobodies. Well, this is what this scientific theory has made me do the last 24 hours. Oh shit, bitch. Because the Fermi paradox is not your average conspiracy theory. No. No. It is a scientific theory backed by Science. 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 And it goes way back to an unpublished manuscript in 1933. The idea of the Fermi paradox is basically that we, aka humans, are the only extraterrestrial life in the entire universe or that we are the most advanced species. And I can't even believe I'm covering something like this because everyone knows aliens are my shit. Yeah, wait, this this seems like Antichrist. Yeah, it does yeah, a little. It it's does. Like, like, don't put a damper in all the alien cases that you have covered in the past. But right. here I am to do so. This is very unorthodox. I, I agree, absolutely. People are like, actually, no, your entire podcast is unorthodox. unorthodox. This is the most normal fucking thing shit that, we've ever, that heard. we've ever heard come out of y'all's mouth. So this idea came from a conversation at lunch by a man named Enrico Fermi. Enrico was this Italian-American physicist and actually created the world's first nuclear reactor, the Chicago Pile 1. In his lifetime, he has earned the names architect of the nuclear age and architect of the atomic bomb. He was born on September 29th, 1901 in Rome, Italy. He was extremely intelligent. His mother, Ida, was an elementary school teacher and his father, Alberto, was the division head in the Ministry of Railways. At the age of 15, Enrico had came across a physics book at his local market. It was a 900 page book called Elementorum Physics Math. This is in Italian at this point. Physics Mathematics. Okay. And it was written in Latin. Sorry, not Italian, Latin. It was written in Latin by Jesuit Father Andrea, who was a professor at the College Romano. This book was filled with everything. Mathematics, classical mechanics, astronomy, optics, and acoustics. At least everything that they knew in the early 1800s when it was published. When Enrico got his hands on this book, he was in awe. And from this, at a very young age, developed a love and a drive for the physics and the sciences. He began building gyroscopes and self-measuring the acceleration of Earth's gravity. Uh, 
at 15. Okay, wow. He then received another book about projective physics from one of his father's friends. Within two months, Enrico had returned the book back to his father's friend and solved all of the proposed theoretical problems that were at the end of the book. Here's your book back. I figured it out. Here's your book back. I solved it. Uh, Two months. Two months. 15. Hi. No big deal. He was becoming a prodigy and he was a prodigy with a photographic memory. Oh. Skipping a couple years, he graduated high school in 1918 and he then attended the Scuola Normale Superiore in Pisa. Okay. Okay. Which was a very small public university. While in college, he was advised by Luigi Puccianti who was the director of the physics laboratory. This professor, Professor Luigi, was so in awe of Enrico because he was teaching the professor things that even the professor didn't know. Right. Like the student was teaching the teacher. He was top-notch, self-educated in the quantum physics, and he majored in physics and all through his own teaching of himself, studying general relativity, quantum mechanics, and atomic physics. The physics department at this school was very difficult to get into, but he was one of three students who got accepted in 1920. These three students had free roam of the entire laboratory for whatever they wanted to do. But Enrico Fermi chose to study and research X-ray crystallography with him and his two classmates who worked to produce a Lau photograph, which is an X-ray photo of a crystal. And to think this is early 1900s. I could hardly X-ray humans. Right. And they're like, bring a crystal in here. Bring that crystal in this bitch. Let's go look at this thing. His junior year of college, he published his first scientific article, the Nuovo Cemento. In 1924, he was initiated into the Masonic Lodge of the Grand Orient of Italy. Now, you know that she was top secret. That's, yeah. that's in Rome, bitch. What tea do we got here? What's going on in the Vatican City? Yeah. During this time, he spent most of his days studying under a man named Max Born at the University of Göttingen in Germany. Göttingen, I think, actually is what it's called. He was giving amazing lectures on the new quantum mechanics. And then he applied to be the chairman of the mathematical physics department at the University of Cagliari in Sardinia. But he didn't get the job. So at the age of 24, that same year that he got denied, he applied to be a professor at the Sapienza University of Rome. And he got it. On July 19th, 1928, he married one of his science students, Laura Capone. I mean, he was 24. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were at least over 18. Yeah, okay, fair. So him and Laura got married. They had two children. Nella. That is cute. I knew stop. you fucking would say that. That is so fucking. Nella. Nella. Nella Ingulo, Gilo, maybe. Oh my God. Okay, fine. It's on the list. Nella sold. Sold. He spent the next 10 years studying the radioactivity of thorium and uranium, and he actually developed a diffusion equation, which is now known as the Fermi age equation. At the age of 37, Fermi received the Nobel Prize in physics for his, quote, demonstrations of the existence of new radioactive elements produced by neuron irradiation and for his related discovery of nuclear reactions brought about by slow neutrons, a.k.a. this was his equation. Got it. After his Nobel Prize, he picked up and he moved to New York City with his family in December of 1938. Their decision to move to America and apply for permanent residency was due largely to the fact of the racial laws that were being implemented in Italy. Mm -hmm. The Fermi family arrived in New York City in January of 1939, and immediately he was offered positions at five universities, one of which he accepted at the University of Columbia. Here, he studied along with other scientists to detect energy released in the nuclear fission of uranium when bombarded by neutrons, a.k.a. a bomb. 
Okay, got it. And the findings weren't great. He was actually the first person to warn the United States military about the potential impact of nuclear energy when he gave a lecture to the Navy Department in 39. So this is literally the same year that he pulls up to the States. <sighs> He's like, okay, well, this is finding is actually shitty. Let me go warn the United States military right real quick. Right. He's like, I, I know I just got here, but let me save you from yourself. So goes to the Navy Department and the Navy didn't care. Oh, he didn't receive the response or the urgency that he was actually hoping to get. Instead, they gave him fifteen hundred more dollars towards his research at Columbia to continue whatever he was doing. Keep your mouth shut. Here's fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, yeah, that, that's really shitty. Here's here's fifteen hundred. <laughs> here's fifteen hundred. I'm like, what the fuck can I do with that, guys? No, I can't well, back in the thirties. I <laughs> yeah. mean, that was fucking. Let's buy a whole building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Later that year, the United States president, who was President Roosevelt, got word that Nazi Germany was likely building an atomic bomb. So Roosevelt formed what was called the Advisory Committee of Uranium. This committee was flooding money towards Fermi and the other scientists because he knew the most about uranium. And he then began building reactors under the money that was coming from the committee, specifically the Chicago Pile 1 under the University of Chicago's Stag Field. This was the first self-sustained nuclear chain reactor to ever be achieved. So the government attempted to recreate this, what Fermi built in Chicago at a good old place in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Oh. This was the X-10 graphite reactor, but eventually something went wrong and Enrico Fermi was immediately pulled to the front lines of Oak Ridge. He was here. This man was in our backyard, bitch. Wow. He quickly fixed the issue and got X-10 back on its feet. Yet another milestone in the plutonium project. Afterwards, Fermi was persuaded to join Project Y at Los Alamos, New Mexico. He took it and was appointed the associate director of the laboratory with sole responsibility for the nuclear and theoretical physics division. After the first detonation of the very first Soviet fission bomb in 1949, Fermi was urging the United States military to stop what they had him developing in Los Alamos laboratory, no. which was a hydrogen bomb. But the government insisted, even after his strongly worded letter, not to. And he was forced to continue and participate in the development of the hydrogen bomb. Once he left governmental work, he continued on as a professor until he died due to stomach cancer in his home in Chicago. He was only 53. Oh, my God. Fermi himself knew that he contracted this so young because of working near nuclear piles for most of his adult life. Yeah. Also, two of his graduate assistants that were working with him died of the same inoperable stomach cancer. And that is Enrico Fermi's life full of intelligence, nuclear activity, and prodigal scientific landmarks. But today, amongst other things, he is known for the Fermi paradox. So where the heck did he have time to discuss aliens? No, honest to God. While jumping job to job, fighting the government. While literally fighting the government, coming over to the U.S., having to deal Hanging with- Hanging out in Oak Ridge, yeah. what the fuck is going on in World War II. So during a lunch break one day, Enrico Fermi had a thought. He was sitting in the break room eating lunch with his fellow physicist, scientist in 1950, and he began discussing the possibility of sophisticated societies that may populate the galaxy, which is what most of the population believes, that there's no way we can be the only ones. Right. But before Fermi could even finish that thought, his brain popped up an alternate conclusion because that's how he worked. He yeah. was like, well, let me fucking solve this real quick. I'm fucking well, really genius. Quick, just let me a literal prodigal genius. Done. And he says, well, if that's true, then that doesn't really make sense. If there really were a lot of different extraterrestrial civilizations out there, then they'd be flying all around us. There's no way that we haven't seen any. And this conversation was actually prompted because prior to lunch, when him and his buddies were walking to the break room, 
there were they were discussing like recent UFO reports and the possibility of like, faster than light travel. And like these are scientists. So they want a scientific explanation for everything. But Fermi couldn't grasp it. He didn't understand the reports or that faster than light travel was even possible. So he blurted out, well, where is everybody then? Like, don't you ever wonder where they right. are? Like, where where are no, the really aliens? Though, where like, the where are, are they? they? And the answer his fellow physicists just had was laughter because they were like, wait, Actually, you have a point, my guy. Like, no, really. Where no. are they? Like, where what are the fuck? They? So alongside his nuclear data days, Fermi worked on something called the Fermi paradox. He needed to put his mind at ease, needed himself to give himself an explanation. So the Fermi paradox, it has two aspects. Aspect one is the function of the scale or the large numbers involved. There are an estimated 200 to 400 billion stars in just the Milky Way. And there is 70 sextillion stars in the observable universe. So you got billion or million, billion, trillion, all the way to sex. So six. Sex trillion stars, okay? I I can't even. In the observable universes, in universes that we had known in the 50s. Right, in, in the 50s In too. the 50s. So it's proving what everybody's argument is. There is so much out there that Earth is likely just a typical planet, just a mediocre planet, and that there's got to be others that are like Earth because there are so many stars. And what does Earth revolve around? The sun, which is a star. Mm -hmm. The second aspect is the argument of probability. Given intelligence life's ability to overcome and the tendency to conquer or colonize new places and habits like we as humans did, it seems possible that at least some civilizations would be technologically advanced and that they would seek out new resources in space or colonize their star system and ultimately colonize the surrounding star systems and come to Earth to come take what we have. Yet there is no scientific evidence on Earth of other intelligent life after 13.8 billion years of the universe's history. So why? Possible explanations are that intelligent life is rarer than it's thought to be. The assumption that the behavior of intelligent species is flawed or the current scientific understanding of how we know and believe our universe is isn't accurate or fully known. So let's break it down some more. There's a debate over what percentage of sun-like stars are out there, the suns that might be orbited by a place like Earth with life. Some say at least 50%, but a more reasonable answer by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences says 22%. So let's go with the 22%. That means that there is at least 1% of the total stars in the universe that have a potentially habitable Earth-like planet orbiting them. Do the math again. That is a total of 100 billion billion Earth-like planets out there. So let's say that's true. And let's say that after billions of years in existence, 1% of those Earth-like planets, so 1% of the billion, billion, billion Earth-like planets have developed life. And imagine that on those 1% of those Earth-like planets, life has advanced to an intelligent level like we did here on Earth. Mm -hmm. That would mean, even though those are so tiny percentages, 1%, 1%, 1%, but because the number is so big, that would mean that there are 10 quadrillion intelligent civilizations in our observable universe. Oh, God. Holy fuck. No, that's fucking stressful. But why haven't we seen anything? They're hidden. <laughs> by the government. Our sun is pretty young in the lifespan of the universe, meaning there are far older stars than our little baby sun. I think of like the gerber baby, like, yeah. oh, no, 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 Teletubbies, the sun yeah. and the baby. Yeah, yeah. That's us. We're just a little baby sun, okay? In theory, there should be far more advanced civilizations than our own because they've had way more time to develop than us. We're just a baby sun. We're right. a baby solar system. She's just a baby. So here's a scenario. Picture two timelines. Dun, okay. dun, 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 dun. On one timeline is Earth, 
And then we're going to give another hypothetical Earth-like livable planet that we're going to call Planet Creeps. Okay. So you have Earth on one timeline and Planet Creeps on the other. Right. Earth is 4.5 billion years old. Okay. That's accurate. But Planet Creeps, let's say they're they're hypothetical. Let's say they're 8 billion years old. Right. If we put them on those timelines and we put the Big Bang Theory or whatever you believe in, but for this purpose, we're going to do the Big Bang Theory. Right. We're going to put the Big Bang Theory at the beginning of those timelines. Right. So we see that Earth is at about the halfway point of planet creeps. I'm sorry, planet creeps comes first because it's 8 billion years old. It's closer to the Big Bang Theory. And Earth is at the 4 billion year mark. So right. it's planet creeps has had a much longer time. I wish we had a fucking drawing board. I know, I know. I, oh are you God. with me? Am yeah, I okay? yeah, yeah. So planet creeps is about, has about 3.5 billion years more of history than Earth does. Right. AKA more time to develop technology beyond where we are today. That's 3.5 billion years to figure shit out. And to confuse you even more, there's something called the Kardashev scale. The Kardashev scale helps us group intelligent civilizations into three categories based on the amount of energy used. Please God, tell me why we have this fucking scale if there's no such thing as like extra. extra. I think, it's like just, I think it's like dreaming. Like it's all theoretical, yeah, like yeah, scientific yeah. theory. But why would we need this if they weren't real? Anyways, keep right. going. So there's type one, type two, and type three civilizations. A type one civilization has the ability to use all of the energy on their planet. Okay. We're not quite a type one civilization, but we're close. Someone did a formula and it puts us at like a 0.07 out of the one. So we're almost so we're type close. one. We're almost able to harness everything, but we're not there yet. Right. You know what I mean? What are we missing? Do we harness lava? Yeah. Yeah. I'd what about like heat from the earth? So like, yeah. Gravity. I think it means like sustainable, like how we live off water and yeah, and food. Like we could also our bodies could adapt to other elements on earth. Yeah, that's a whole of. other side of it, too. Yeah. yeah. A type two civilization can harness all of the energy of their host star. So the sun, our type one brains can hardly imagine how, yeah, how the that fuck? would even happen. Solar power? But, you know, we've tried our best. Yeah. yeah. Solar power and things like they've created the Dyson sphere, which I've definitely talked about in one of my episodes. Yeah. Just a fucking theoretical sphere that we pull all this energy from the sun and we don't need our planet, really. Yeah. Is that the one that we looks like, like a big suction cup? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You said Dyson. Immediately I went to my shitty vacuum. You're like, oh, that fucking vacuum. Yeah. And a type three civilization blows the other two away. It can access power comparable to that of the entire Milky Way galaxy. So that's when that planet, that civilization is able to harness their entire, every element in the galaxy to survive, that's to sustain life. Beyond. So back to the timeline. If we, planet Earth, is only a type one, barely, then we would have to believe that with double the time to evolve, planet creeps, our hypothetical planet who has lived double the amount of time that we have, would at least be a type two or type three civilization. Right. But let's say we remove planet creeps. Let's give a new planet who's at least triple the amount of years that we are old. We'll call it planet crimes. <laughs> Poor planet crimes. Planet crimes has to be a type three civilization. Right. And we're babies. We're baby solar system. We're baby babies. Are you with me still? I'm, I'm with you. So if something could harness the energy of the entire galaxy, someone is a type three civilization, then we should have seen them. Right. Especially because we are hardly a type one civilization and there is no way that our planet, aka our government, everyone says the government's hiding it from you. But if we're just a type one, the baby boomers, then how do we have the means to block each and every alien encounter that we have? Like we, we are like the Gen Z to the boomers. Right. 
You know what I mean? Like there's just no, no we're way. the Gen Z to the fucking silent the Guys, silent we went generation. all the generations like isn't that funny it's in my notes yeah that is am. so funny that is fucking weird but where is everybody the fermi paradox breaks it into two broad categories where they could be explanation one there are no signs of higher type two and three civilizations because there are no higher civilizations in existence we're it Okay. Point blank that's period. even more terrifying to be I honest. I think so too. Yeah. That's fucking scary. That's terrifying. People that follow explanation one, they often look at math. You know, there should be so many thousands or millions of higher civilizations and at least one of them would be an exception to the rule. So even if this theory held for 99.9% of higher civilizations and the other 0.01% would behave differently and they would show their fucking selves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, think of all of our countries. Like, one of us, aka the United States, is going to be like, oh, I'm fucking showing my face. I'm not fucking scared of these little bitches. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. that there's got to be somebody who would show their face, but nobody has. So there, if there is no advance. <laughs> sorry, guys, I'm like losing myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it wasn't even that. It was just a, I'm going to show them bitches. <laughs> I'll show them bitches my face. I'm not fucking scared. Oh, God. So their explanation that there must be no advanced civilization suggests that something else must be going on. And this something else is called the great filter. Oh, God. Bitch, imagine if I was high right now. No, the way, the way that if this was the episode that went off on 420, I, I would go get my CBD pre-roll and we'd be ripped. And ripped. The great filter theory says that at some point from pre-life to type three civilizations, intelligence. Okay. There's a wall that either cuts us off or attempts life at this halt. Like, it's just this this wall that we can't see. It's a fucking filter. Mm -hmm. And there's some stage in that long evolutionary process that is extremely unlikely or impossible for life to go beyond the great filter. And that one stage is the great filter. So what they're saying is, like, look at us on a timeline again. Mm -hmm. There's a fucking wall right there. And we're either surpassed it or we're about to hit it or and we're that's it. like your make or break moment. It's your make or break moment. Society either but, falls apart or but becomes But where stronger. the timeline of advancement is the great filter, we don't fucking know. Right. But what the great filter is, theoretically, is the fate of humankind. Depending on where the great filter occurs, we're left with three possible realities. One, we're rare. Two, we're first. Or three, we're fucked. All three are terrifying. We're rare, meaning the great filter is behind us. We somehow managed to squeeze through, whether it was before us and we had no idea or what it, whether it was a shift in a fucking dimension. Right. And like everyone always says that the axis is tilted, you know, right. whatever. Like maybe we're ahead of it. We're fucking rare. We're lucky. Right. We have lucky. Earth has lucky girl syndrome. Yeah. Or we're first, meaning the great filter comes after you achieve this type three civilization and or super intelligence. Or we're fucked, meaning the great filter is just a little bit ahead of us and we will never achieve beyond type one. That one makes me so sick. That's scary. The reason why the we're close to it makes me almost sick is, you know, I'm sure people in history probably felt this way at some point. But like, don't y'all ever look at everything and think about like when we were younger, there was new things coming out like all the time, like and the we're fucking iPhone. Well, I mean, in my lifetime, I went from having a CD player to an MP3 to an iPod to an iPhone which had everything on it. You mm -hmm. no longer had to do that. And and also like having to not be able to access 
internet on, right. you know, like my parents had fucking pagers. Like I remember that. And think about how much we've grown since then. And but then think of the iPhone the last 10 years. It hasn't fucking nothing's changed. changed. Is there anything and else that we like, can advance on? I feel like because we're at a halt, like it is scary, meaning we'll never go beyond this. Like we are maxed out right. on technological advancement. But I think because we're at a halt, it's causing everyone to be antsy, antsy stagnant, and that's when things and come that's out. when things are going haywire, which is exactly what is happening the and, last five years. And me and Morgan just looked at the generational like timeline of it, and it w- was a not the silent generation, Generation X, in between millennial and baby boomer, boom, and yeah, that's Generation yeah. X, right? Generation X was the are the inventors of everything, the people that pushed it because their parents handled everything in terms of like marches and making mm-hmm. change and like recovering from everything. So they got to chill, enjoy and right. advance. And they and it kind of seemed probably stagnant. Like we just got over that huge hump like, oh, my God, are we just going to chill? And then it starts getting kind of antsy. And so by their 20s, those people create something huge. And then you have the millennials and they, they were shoved just under the rug fucking constantly are getting their shit rocked. Mm-hmm. Also, it kind of this has a lot to do with like the Great Depression, the recession, wars, so on and so forth. But those technological advancements change like generations from now to come. But if you look at like it at its core, what each generation has faced, it looks like Gen Z or Gen Y or both of them will, will be Gen X. One of them will, will be the inventors. The inventors. Right. Yeah. But I feel like Gen Gen Z is more of the baby boomers. But moment. I think like to invent more things like we need to be harnessing different types of elements like right. we are maxed out of what we can do like if you want flying cars you need to pull something else in you know what I mean you your car can no longer be fueled by gasoline it's got to have something else to it it'll come there's going to be a breakthrough there always is like think about like Unless renaissance we're hitting and all the that great shit. filter well then that's the thing like can <laughs> we go any further right. what else can we do without burning out all of us to the ground like we're all getting right in like this place where no version of society has ever been before us we don't know what to do with it we have constant communication everybody's in with within one degree of each other right what do you do exactly so explanation one as to why we haven't seen anyone is basically the great filter explanation group two is that type two and three intelligence civilizations are out there but there's just some logical reasons why maybe we haven't heard from them and this group this explanation comes with 10 possibilities okay. so i'm going to run through them possibility one is that super intelligent life could very well have already visited earth just before we were here that would explain why people believe the great pyramids mm-hmm. um, stonehenge things like that. Right. Like that was maybe E.T. and they, maybe they're done with us. They don't want to come back. They saw mm-hmm. what they needed. They took what they needed or maybe we were no good for them. They didn't need anything. Hell, when us. they came, we could have been who they could have came here and fucking dinosaurs were here. Right. Exactly. And I mean, like, like, oh, fuck, fuck this. That. Why is that fucking neck all the way up in the sky hit my UFO, bitch? <laughs> they're literally like, honestly, fuck this place. We're never coming back. There comes the T-Rex. will never exist on this bitch. And pterodactyls <laughs> flying to the UFO. They're like, fuck this planet. Send the fucking meteor that way. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Possibility two is that the galaxy has been colonized, but we just live in this like desolate rural area of the Milky Way. Like we are the northern Canada in terms of the galaxy. Okay, we're so far out that like no one fucks with us. Yeah, they're like, like we don't. They don't need anything that we have. So right, they don't come over here. And what are we going to give them? Right, we have Oreos? nothing. Yeah, we have nothing to give them except for fast food and Oreos <laughs> and war and destruction and, and hate fight and hate. <laughs> Put a boot in your ass. <laughs> it's the American way. And here is the Texas Pledge of Allegiance. 
to thee. <laughs> Possibility three is that the entire concept of physical colonization is just like this hilariously like backward concept to more advanced species. Like mm. we're a joke to them. Societies beyond type one are just laughing at us because they've managed to create this perfect environment for themselves with the energy that they're able to harness from the sun or from the universe. And we're just a fucking mockery to them. And I guess we can like be they're they're watching sources. us like we watch Saturday Night Live. Like yeah, we are their Saturday Night Live. We're their humor. Right. It's like that movie with Jim Carrey where he's in the simulation. Oh, what's it fucking called? Truman Show. Truman Show. Yeah. We're the Truman Show. Possibility four is that there are these really scary predator civilizations out there and most intelligent life knows better than to broadcast like any outgoing signals and advertise where their planet's located and their location because these evil like think of fucking Thanos. Like yeah. there's Thanoses out there and they'll fucking come and destroy Meanwhile, you. we're over here like, hey, hey. We're making fake moon landings. We're like, <laughs> we're here, bitch. Put a flag on that shit. We're sending out send like shit, fucking notes in the bottle. Send satellites to space. Let them know someone's on this fucking planet. Send a rover to Mars and let it sing happy birthday and say hello to the demons that live there. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Possibility five piggybacks off of four. Mm -hmm. And it's that there is a super predator civilization that's far more advanced than everybody else. And it keeps it that way by like exterminating everybody mm -hmm. once they get past a certain level which would suck for us if we ever yeah. were to go beyond type one. And that's why we haven't seen anyone else because this super predator has killed them all off. Right. And we're like not an issue yet. But when we do. Yeah. They're coming for us. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's like brand new people that are still like don't yeah. have cars on like other they'll planets. Come, they'll fucking exterminate us. Yeah. We're pest, they're pest control. We're the pests. Like we're we have an expiration day, basically. Yeah. Possibility six is that there's plenty of activity and noise out there, but our technology is just too like primitive that we're listening either for the wrong things or that we can't hear what's out there because we don't have enough technology or to understand do so. it if, if they or ever were talking. It. Yeah. We're like, oh, that's just a star. And they're mm. like, nope, that's a whole conversation about yeah. the Truman Show they're that like, we're living on. <laughs> they're like, they're like, like, no, what we're is that crackling sound? The, the frequencies are fucked up. And, and meanwhile, the aliens are out there talking about Morgan Taylor from Creeps and Crimes. <laughs> they're like, beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop, boop. Let's get creepy. And they're like, if y'all send this fucking thing back, if y'all don't stop sending all these damn radio Rovers? signals everywhere. Like our heads are hurting. Yeah. Possibility seven is that we are receiving contact from other intelligent life, but the government, this world government is hiding it, which I believe, but I just really don't think we're advanced. They're advanced enough to stop everything. Like if someone wanted to be shown, they'd show it. Yeah. Possibility eight is that higher civilizations are aware of us and they are observing us. And this is actually something called the zoo hypothesis. Okay. And the zoo hypothesis basically is that we are being protected like a national park the look but you know don't touch rule like yeah. they love to watch us they want to see us succeed they'll step in when they need to but Lighting like we're their queen. babies we're Lighting yeah yeah, that's them to us. Isn't that kind of cute? Yeah, I love possibility. Yeah, I want that one. Possibility nine is that higher civilizations are here. They're all around us, but we're just too not advanced to perceive them, see them, feel them, you know? Like, I mean, harnessing all energy would to also be harnessing like- Invisibility. Our, well, our energy, like humans- right energy and like, maybe that's like the spiritual like gifts that some people have like, like an is, indigenous is them harnessing us our energy yeah and that's how we're able to like you you trip on dmt what do you see this 
fucking alien. Right. You know and what I like, mean? Thank God. Oh my they're God. Like, you did it. My name is Queen. Yeah. <laughs> Impossibility 10 is that we are just completely wrong about our reality, which puts you in the hologram matrix shit living yeah. in a sim like ideal. But nobody has been able to resolve the Fermi paradox. Nobody can give an explanation to it. They'll try and they'll say, you know, intelligent beings are rare or the lifetime of such civilizations are short or that they exist. But, you know, humans see no evidence. But my takeaway from the Fermi paradox is either aliens don't exist. They do. But we're actually most advanced or you know, we're about to die. That was my takeaway. And yeah. that's how I didn't sleep at all last night because the fucking Fermi paradox has kept me up at the all times of night. And I thought that the great fucking filter was going to suck me out of my bed and, and into a black hole. Yeah, man. And that's the Fermi paradox. That's some food for fucking thought. You know what? I, I would be really curious. I know like black holes are a no go mainly because we just don't. But what if they're the filters? What if they, it's not even the filter? Like what if that is if you can figure out how to get through a black hole and survive? Yeah, you've made it. And we go over there and it's like heaven, a whole universe of just like. Right. Or it's like humanoids. in a cellar and you end up in a bookcase in this room. Oh, my God. No, don't take it fucking there, man. That's let's, let's so go with tripping. the Lightning McQueen vibes. Lightning McQueen. We're I just their babies. We live in a zoo to them and yeah. they like take care of us. They'll intervene if we really are in trouble. Yeah. Which is probably what they do. But they know that like, you know, we're just babies. We're baby minded. We're not open to them. We'd freak out. So they have to hide themselves. They have a select group of counsel that they go and they communicate with. They give them what they need, which would be like our world government. They're like so exists. respectful that and, they go and they talk to people. And we're just and they like go about their business and they continue to watch us. We're just their pets. Yeah, I mean, I truly think that it could be that or it could be that there was a that we're an experiment to one of these. Like if we're their babies, we're the zoo, then they said, well, let's take our foundation. So the DNA. Let's see what works. And let's see. Let's plant some seeds on in this garden called Earth because mm -hmm. the soil's good. And we'll see. Here's what Adam. Here's Eve. Yeah. Here's a snake. And it's, here's and this here's fucking an snake. Ignore him. And here's a piece of fruit. Don't bite it. And then here's a whole garden. And immediately, step one in the zoo, they're like, they fucking ate it. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking, are they being for real right now? Being fucking for real. You've been here for five fucking minutes. And y'all already came and fucked some shit up. Are you kidding? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, did you just really leave two toddlers out here? Right. How that happened? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, I got like, a lot of questions. Yeah. And God, I believe in you. It's just I got a lot of questions. I, I need I need photos. I want to visit Planet Creeps and Planet Crimes. That's yeah. Eight billion years old and 12 billion years old. Let me visit them. Let me experience. Take me out of the zoo for just a second. As long as it's nice and cute and pretty. Yep. And then put me right back. Yeah. I don't know if you saw about that. The um, person that they found completely frozen and shit. And they dated that person back to further than we thought that like no humans would have existed. And so now they're retesting all like DNA samples that they were able to obtain from these ice people, ice people, basically with modern and advanced DNA technology, we're able to track it to a better level and it's going further back than we knew human history did that's crazy and it's like mind-blowing and then I also all the shit I that's die, coming yeah i get all the answers oh you will first off god's gonna be like y'all y'all were risking it y'all <laughs> were fucking so close to go into hell <laughs> you guys were teetering on the line <laughs> you were walking that rope real a tight line in between risky. the grand canyon okay yeah he said Y'all need to chill. <laughs> and y'all are so impatient 
that you started a whole damn podcast and career off of questioning everything. Yeah. But you know what? I like that about you. <laughs> but I thought it was cute. Come on, it was so funny. Come on in the gate. I loved hearing you talk all that drama. That shit's yeah. good. No, but I, I'm really, I'm really so excited for the day that we are able to like take in that information. I know. Me too. Oh my God. It's going to be so cool. I hope we get it at the same time. We'll be like, bitch. <laughs> oh my God. I told you guys. Or whoever goes first. Yeah. I'll see you up there. And Oh my God. Up there. Yeah, we're going up. No, no, literally. And what I'll be like, you'll be like, and I'll be like, I know, I know, I've been dwelling Dude, on it. I'll be up there standing beside God and God's like, I have to greet her. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, Beth Ann's behind me. I'm like, Beth Ann, back the fuck up. I gotta I'm tell gonna her be everything. First. Ollie, sit. I'm literally sitting up there like waiting beside God and God's like, I, seriously though, like I really it need to be. It has to be, to be me. I have like, to. It's like the rule up here. I'm like, yeah, that's so funny. We'll go hand in hand. <laughs> I'll stand right here behind you because she's going to freak out. <laughs> Let me get this on camera for the vlog. Yeah, he's like, there's no service up here. Yeah, there is. I gotta get it for the vlog. Yeah, literally. I ordered I it from Bapple. Bapple. Apple. Heaven's Apple. Heaven's Apple. From the- No, Apple's a really sensitive topic up there, clearly. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Okay, anyways, my turn. I loved it, by the way. Thanks. I thought it was, I was really worried it wouldn't come off right. But no, I it think was it- so good. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. This is so fun. I love okay, this one. Yeah. It, it, it really gives It was like one. a good, like, scientific, like, high talk. Like, yeah. We're, I'm, we're not high, but, <laughs> but it felt like it. I when mean, I was it feels talking. like Like, it. I love when my mind can just go beyond, like, yeah. what's in front of you and, like, just when you- come in with all these ideas and, like, you're trying to grasp it, then you're like, but what about you know it just when you talk about things like this it'll trigger different kinds of ideas that like maybe you haven't thought of before that's yeah. why i liked it but it's also why i lost sleep so yeah i love it i loved it this is my my favorite science based it's one. pretty cool no this one's fucking sick yeah that one's sick this is a great one thank you okay it's my turn all right you're up morgan i have something for you well where's your ipad <laughs> <laughs> No, bitch. Guys. No, bitch. (laughs) I am doing my notebook today. Handwritten notes. Okay. So. uh, (laughs) I'm so scared. This. Good luck. Good luck, Chuck. Today I'm talking about. Good luck, Charlie. Good luck, Chuck. (laughs) Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. So today I'm covering spies. 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 Okay. Bear with me. You're going to love this. I'm going to bear. You're, I'm really scared. I'm ner- I'm more nervous. But about- sometimes you do really great with things like that. Sometimes I do good when I switch up stuff. So that's what I had to do last night to get notes done. Because I was like, if I look at a fucking computer any longer, I'm done. I literally can't look at you right now. So don't look at me as I'm reading a whole book <laughs> that I wrote. All right. Why do intelligence agencies need spies, foreign spies? Well, obviously for information, but specifically classified, incredibly detailed and important information. But how do intelligence agencies like the CIA recruit spies? Now, the first step is to locate the information that you want. Who is having the meetings about it? Who are the people in these meetings? Where are the meetings, etc.? Number two, once you know the location, who they're has the access slash security clearance to have that information. So you're looking at assistants, diplomats, embassy employees, etc. Uh, Morgan's videoing me. I'm just taking a picture. <laughs> so number three, out of all of the people that have access to this info, what are their weak spots slash whose weak spots are more pressing? So is it money, drugs, marriage, so on and so forth? <laughs> Page turn. 
<laughs> this is so good. I'm done. This is so good. I feel like it's season one. This was so much easier when we had a table to have paper. Now it's hard. Okay. So historically, intelligence services have used the acronym MICE, so M-I-C-E, for someone's motivation as to why they would become a spy. M for money, I for ideology, C for compromise, which means blackmail, and then E for ego. So let's go through examples of each of the motives, starting with M, money. For the most part, the main motivation for someone to become a spy turning against their entire country is money, but it's also one of the more dangerous motivations for three main reasons. One, money can be traced. Two, it can make you stand out if all of a sudden you're buying tons of shit and your employer, aka the person, who literally knows how much you're getting paid is like, hmm, I know I don't pay you that much. Right. And then number three, money makes people do weird shit. Yes. All the time. The most well-known American that sold his soul to the Soviets was John Anthony Walker, a U.S. Navy warrant officer. 12-year U.S. Navy veteran working at a naval base in Norfolk, Virginia, John A. Walker had access to all of the coded messages between fleet ships, submarines, and the Navy Command Center. Walker had an insane amount of debt, and he really needed money. He discovered that the easiest way to make some good money and make that good money fast would be by selling secrets to the Soviets. All right. So in 1967, Walker goes to the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C. He shows them his ID cards to be like, hey, like I'm legit. And then he flashes them a stack of key cards from the U.S. Navy encryption system at the time. And he says, look, I'll hand all this over to you and I'll continue handing you shit, becoming a spy for a lot of cash. And if you want to take me up on that offer, then get your bag. Let's go. Oh, wait, you just wait. At first, I was like, I mean, okay, like get your bag. But then, like, we'll get into this really conversation. Get that bag. Right. So, Walker was 30 years old at the time, and he opened up a direct pipeline between the KGB and U.S. classified information. He gave up copies of top secret documents by dropping them off at clandestine locations near Northern Virginia and Maryland, where a bag of cash would be sitting there waiting on him. And that's where he knew to drop it in exchange. So, one time during Walker's routine drop in his bag of cash, there was also a rotor reader. And And this would decode the KL-47 ciphers that were used by the Navy at this point in time. Imagine a homeless man walking by. Bag of cash. Bag of cash. Slatch that. Immediately. Goodbye. I'm in the penthouse in New York City. 100%. (laughs) And so a KL-47 cipher reader is an electromechanical rotor-based offline cipher machine that was created by the NSA in the 60s to have communications that were like completely encrypted pretty much between the U.S. government, U.S. military. And the rotor reader he was given would be placed into one of these like machines and basically would rewrite and duplicate the cipher, allowing the Soviets to build a their own version of this KL-47, but also decode every single thing that the U.S. is talking about. Okay. Walker was also given a subminiature Minox camera and film. This was a really well-known go-to German-made spy camera during the Cold War. And it had the capability of taking 50 HD photos in like a fast shutter 
and it was completely aluminum and it was the size of like your middle finger. So like all you had to do is just put it in your pocket, slide it forward and click it once and 50 pictures were taken. This was unheard of at this point in time. So to get access to this was absolutely insane. Eventually, Walker created his own spy ring because he was doing so well and the KGB was fucking obsessed with him. So he recruits for his like main guys, his own brother, Arthur, who also was in the military, and then his son, Michael, who was about to be old enough to go into the military. He talks his son, Michael, into going into the military and getting a higher ranking than him and having like a higher security clearance just so they can filter out more information to the KGB and make more money. Holy shit. Right. But most notably, Walker's spy ring also included a man named Jerry Whitworth, who was over all of the U.S. fleet communications. So the KGB had all of Where every our Navy communication ship mm-hmm. was at all times. At all times. Giving the KGB over 1 million classified U.S. secret messages over a 14-year period, only stopping or slowing down after his ex-wife began giving all of his information to the FBI, and this triggered a huge investigation, codenamed Operation Wind Flyer. The FBI tapped all of the phones in on and around him and to anybody that they knew of in his ring while conducting 24-7 surveillance before setting up a trap slash sting in order to catch Walker in the act. So they followed Walker from the Norfolk base to the outskirts of D.C. where he was doing a dead drop. They watched him as he literally dropped off an entire like from the office, took an entire stack of secret documents, drove them to this drop off location and went up there, grabbed his bag of money and dropped it off. Holy shit. So the FBI arrests him as soon as he grabs the money. And the bag that he had dropped off at that location contained 129 classified documents hidden in a milk carton from his son, Michael. Oh, my God. Who was working on the Nimitz naval ship at the time. Walker, his son and his brother, along with all of the other spying members, were arrested within hours of Walker's arrest. It was concluded that because of the information that the Soviets had obtained through Walker and his ring, the Soviets made significant advancements in naval technology by giving them access to U.S. naval tactics, weapons, and sensor data, along with so much more. Like, he basically set the U.S. back 15 years because we had to redo everything. Everything. Fuck, dude. Everything. Working for the Soviets as a spy made John A. Walker over $1 million. He is the first known person to make that much off of espionage. What was the 60s, 70s? 60s, 70s, yeah. Half of his money came through cash, but the majority of it was given to him in silver bars because silver bars do not have serial numbers. Wow. Yeah. John Walker and his brother, Arthur Walker, were both charged with treason and both sentenced to life in prison. John's son, Michael, was sentenced to 25 years, but was released after 15. Another example of this is a case that was handled by CIA officer Sandy Grimes. And she's a bad bitch. Uh course. I got to tell you, I'm obsessed with her. So Sandy in 1991, Grimes was assigned to a task force to investigate a potential mole who was suspected of revealing the identities of CIA agents to the KGB. So at this point, the CIA had lost 12 of its most valued Soviet agents after they had been given up by someone on the inside and they were executed by the KGB. Like, holy shit. So we had people on the inside. We had foreign spies 
and over in the KGB. And we had the 12 most important ones, like the highest ranking ones. And it's crazy that, you know, they would execute them and us, we would just arrest their people. Yeah, we're just arresting and putting them in They'll be in jail. Right. So Sandy Grimes, like I said, she's a CIA agent and she and her team began looking at the small group of people that would have known where these spies that they had within the KGB were working, would have known that they were working with the CIA, would be able to have access to this that was privy to who our people that were serving over there, what their real names were, because obviously, like even in the CIA, you could be sitting beside someone on a mission. You don't even know if that's your fucking fellow agent over there. That could just be some random person because everybody uses code names. So naturally, Sandy's like, okay, well, let's put them all in a chart and put every person that we know has security clearance to know who these people's true identities are. Every single time there was this one person that was connected to all 12 plus a variety of other individuals who were killed, who were given up to the KGB. And this name was Aldrich Ames, who primarily went by Rick, was a CIA case officer assigned to the Soviet East European Division at the time. And he worked at the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Rick had fallen in love with this like really wealthy Colombian national named Rosaria. He was in the midst of getting a big divorce. And I guess he had met her while working in Colombia, a.k.a. Pablo Escobar. Right. Well, Rosaria, she was a material girl, period. She was a material she girl. She bag. She had to have designer everything she wouldn't wear unless it was designer. He was like wanting to impress her, wanting to get married to her, but he was going to have to come up with multiple bags. So Rick actually had a cover name that was known by the KGB because he was someone that the CIA had put in to have direct communication with the KGB. But they just knew him by a fake name. They didn't know that he was a CIA agent. Now they do, clearly. But to the CIA, they're like thinking like, whatever. One day, just like any other day, Rick walked into the Soviet embassy where he would typically have meetings and volunteered to become a spy for them out of nowhere. And to prove that A, he was actually an agent because they were like, bro, you're a fucking CIA agent. He and B, he had to prove that he had like actually good info. He hands over the names of the 12 active CIA agents that were serving in the KGB. The ones that got executed. Mm -hmm, For $50,000. He killed 12 people for $50,000. What? Yeah. And with this money, he finalized his divorce and he married Rosaria and continued working as a spy. Holy shit. So she got all of her designer things. At first, Ames would print off and put on hard disk or like drives and stuff all these classified documents, walk out of the CIA headquarters, drive to a D.C. restaurant where he would meet and hand over all of this that he had taken to his Soviet handler. So every spy has a handler and he would do this in person, which is like. Unheard of. Later, he began delivering this information through dead drops as well. So just like the first guy, random field, here's the latitude, longitude, go figure out where the fuck it's at, X marks the spot. So he started doing that a little later on as well because he couldn't meet up with the dude every single time. In four years, he made almost $2 million in just two years. It took 17 years for For Walker to make one mil. Insane. Oh, he had intel. And yeah, look at who he is. Like he knows everything that's going on. I'm sorry. I said, did I say in two years? Four? 
In four years. Yeah. And so in four years, he made almost two million. In 1986, so I'm kind of backing up at this point, Rick Ames had returned from this tour in Rome. After that, he was never the same. He was driving luxury cars. He was wearing tailored three-piece suits. He got veneers. He gave his wife the closet and the home and the decorations and the art pieces of her fucking dreams. So he went from driving the same car for 20 fucking plus years and wearing the same clothes and never buying new clothes. To Big Pimpin' Daddy. To Big Pimpin'. Like, like walking in there with fucking tailored three-piece suits. Yeah. No, sir. Let's make it obvious, huh? Okay, so Sandy Grimes notices this because Sandy and Rick came up as agents at the exact same time. They were tight. She's like, look, I know like women and men's pay is not equal, but that, that is something's not up. right. Sandy knew him and she could tell by his body language that he had changed. He went from being this really kind, humble, friendly, chill dude to looking arrogant when he walked. Before, he always walked with like a slouch, like he was insecure. But when she came back and saw him after he got back from Rome, he was sitting up a little higher, like he knew something. And that's what tipped her off. When she saw his name on the list, she's like, that's the fucking one. Dumb of him because what the fuck is he thinking? He's working for the CIA who are literally people that are trained to watch people's body language. And here you are whipping around in a new fucking Jaguar wearing three-piece suits. I whipped up in a new Bugatti. Literally. And by the way, the CIA knows what the fuck you're making, bro. Right. Right. And so Sandy Grimes told her entire task force, like, we don't have to keep looking I, I know who the fuck it is but surprisingly Damn. not surprisingly they weren't the only ones talking about the cia that got suspicious about rick ames the fbi was trailing his ass because they were like where the fuck you got all this cash where'd you get this cash at me and the irs want to know the write-off people were really curious i know you can't write off that jaguar on the cia yeah. so which where's it from, where, where's it from? We're, bring those seats past three years, pull them up. Show the karaoke machine. So FBI agent Les Wester plotted this entire trash cover. This is where the trash comes Oh, in. fuck. Yeah. So basically he was like, we have this entire operation. This is what we're going to do. Because once a civilian puts their trash on the curb away from their home in that garbage can that the truck comes and dumps over, you have officially surrendered all of your rights to whatever the fuck is inside and that you no longer have any privacy rights. They're all gone and it is public property, a.k.a. government property. And they got Rick's fucking trash. The second he sat it on the, th- the side, he they p- put it in the back of the truck. Let's roll. Let's left. go. Pull out and they start going through this entire like trash bag. Inside, they find a torn yellow post-it note that read, I am ready to meet at B on 1 October. I cannot read. North, 13 through 19 September. If you will, underline, meet, underline, at B on 1 October, PLS, pulls, please, please, yeah, pulls, signal north of 20 September to confirm. No, underline, message, at pipe. If you cannot, underline, meet, 1 October, signal north after 27 Sept, September with message at pipe. End quote. Now, that sounds like insane and I cannot read sent me because I'm like, really? Really? That's a dirty joke. Really? So this guy's Marty Bass. So he's Marty Bass. This was actually a draft of an operational message from Rick to his Soviet handler discussing a meeting in Colombia through spycraft, a.k.a. the language and terms that were being used. They also found matching bank deposit slips in Rick's bank accounts that lined up directly with every time he went to that restaurant to meet up with his handler 
for the drops. The FBI and the CIA bugged Rick Ames' home with microphones, continued 24-7 surveillance, put a tracker on the bro's car, and then searched through his computer on the back end. After gathering enough cause and evidence that Rick Ames was their mole, they arrested him on February 21st, 1994. Rick Ames played so dumb and denied everything naturally because he's literally a trained professional compulsive liar. Right. That is what a CIA agent is. But the same could not be said for his new wife, Rosaria, who confessed everything immediately, told them everything that her husband had done, that she had done with her husband, said he made me do it. He told me that this is how we get to live the life that we want to live, that it was an operation. Like, I had no idea. Rick Ames had been with the CIA for 30 years, nine of which he spent as a mole for the KGB. He received $2.4 million in traceable cash and another $2 million that to this day is still kept in reserves in Russia for giving up any and all Moscow CIA operations and operatives that he knew of in those nine years. So he cost the life of over 54 agents were either imprisoned, tortured, disappeared, or executed publicly because of him. All for four mil, 4.4 mil. Oh, my God. And only half of it you have access to. Rick Ames was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And he is at Allenwood Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. Holy shit. Right. Okay. so let's move on from money to ideology. This was the number one motive for spies during the Cold War. And the Cubans knew this and took advantage of it. They recruited Anna Balin Montez, a highly respected analyst at the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency or DIA. Anna became a spy for Cuba's intelligence agency, DGI, in 1984. During this time also, she became the senior analyst for the DIA on Latin America and Cuba. She was the head over all operations that had anything to do with them. Wow. Making her the fucking perfect spy. Right. For the Cuban people. Yeah. It, Castro was what I mean by and that. a woman. It, yeah, exactly. No, one's, no she's one's a woman. That. She would never do she's that. She's smart enough. Right. Dumb bitch. No one would ever question. And the reason why also is because like no one would ever question her because she was meeting with Cubans all the time. She was constantly going to Cuba. She was constantly at the embassy because that was her job. Right. And she shaped every single DIA policy that had anything to do with Cuba. Unlike the men before her, she was beyond smart. She never took any documents home with her. Instead, she had a photographic memory, so she would memorize the entire thing, go home and rewrite it on her laptop that was given to her by the Cuban government. She then encrypted these on computer disk and gave them to her Cuban handlers. The only way that she communicated with her handlers for urgent matters was through various payphones and pager, but that was very rare. Instead, she would get orders and messages through anonymously transmitted high-frequency shortwave radio bands to her Sony ICF 2010 shortwave radio all the way from Cuba. Think about what's going on in Cuba at this point in time. Like, this is where we have the far-right regime going on down there. Like war funding. Yeah, that we're funding. 100%. 
So much crazy shit's going on, right? Going back to those shortwave radio signals that she was getting all the way from fucking Cuba in her house in Virginia. These messages would come through as five numbers that were given at a time. So like sections of five numbers. And then she would type these numbers as she hears them into a computer. And in this computer was a Cuban installed decryption program where the letters would be converted into Spanish directions. That's kind of dope. Really cool, right? Anna gave over all operatives and operations that she knew of going on in Cuba. Oh, my God. She provided Fidel Castro direct information on all U.S. intelligence collection systems that took the U.S. years and years to develop, putting four U.S. intel officers' lives at risk by doing so. Anna Montes worked with Cuba for 17 years, all the while rising in the ranks of the DIA until she was officially pinpointed for the intelligence breaches only because she was the only person that would have known. So basically she got too high up. Her security clearance got so high that the information she was giving up, she would be the only person to know. So it's like pointing the finger right at her. It's like pointing the finger right at your (laughs) fucking self. Like a search was executed at her apartment where after 17 years, she had gone from being really smart to being comfortable and sloppy. Investigators found her shortwave radio, her Cuban installed RAN laptop filled with forensic evidence on the hard drive with everything that she had sent and done because she never claimed her fucking hard drive. Along with a list of coded numbers in her wallet that was to help break ciphers that she would get on her pager. So they had access to all that because pagers had records. And on September 21st, 2001, think about this fucking timeline also. September 21st, 2001. Okay. Anna Balin Montez was arrested on conspiracy to conduct espionage on Cuba's behalf. And she made a full confession. She told everything. She explained that her motive was her opposing the U.S. policies that were being placed on Cuba. And she obeyed her conscience and her own morals instead of the government. Wow. I mean, I'm like... Uh, I would do but, it like, too think about, if it didn't risk my life. Well, she's know? over there thinking like we're sending these regimes, regimes that are ruining my country. Right. And she's like, what the fuck? That's not fair yeah. to do to them. That's not morally right. So she's thinking of her morals instead of the law. Yeah. So she was sentenced to 25 years in prison, but she was released this year, January of this year. Damn. Yep. And she lives in Puerto Rico now. She dipped. Go ahead, Anna. She dipped. She dipped real fucking quick. But like Puerto Rico, we I guess she probably has to stay as a U.S. citizen for a little bit. Five, ten years. Yeah. Kind of like a form of parole. All right. So moving on to number three, C or compromise, a.k.a. blackmail. This one's this one's interesting. This one's really interesting. So I love a good blackmail story. A junior ad. It's like. Admiralty, admirality, admirality. That was it. Thank you. Yeah. Admirality clerk named John Vassal went to Moscow's British embassy. And this was like where you did not want to be. That's where he worked at. And okay, so it's in the UK, but it's he's from the UK. Yeah, he's from the no, he's from the UK. He was sent to work the British UK embassy in Moscow. Yeah. While living there, he falls in love with his ski instructor. So John starts going and partying with him at the National Hotel. Now, according to John, this is where it gets really fucked. So just like trigger warning. Okay. According to John, one night while partying there, someone slipped a drug into his drink and they videoed him having orgies with young boys. Oh, my God. With his ski instructor lover being behind the camera. Oh, my God. And like he's totally like unconscious. Well, he's incoherent. He's blacked out like 
he's no, he's not incoherent. Like he's partaking. So he had been drugged to like basically forget blacked out, basically. My God. Well, these photos and videos were then used to blackmail John into becoming a spy for the Soviets. They trained him on how to use a Minox camera, which we've already talked about, the little one with the 50 shutters. So John goes back to the UK because he's done at the embassy over there, and he begins stealing naval secrets and sending the photos back to his handler, all of which were crucial to modernizing the Soviet Navy because they were getting the UK's info and And the US. The US's info basically at the same exact time. He continued his work with- Sorry, was his handler the ski instructor? I don't no. believe so. I think that but the ski instructor like was worked for the KGB. Did though. something for sure. Was definitely planted. Yeah. If not paid off to do it. Because I think he like got to know his ski instructor and like went to these parties with him a lot. Damn. So John continued working as a KGB spy from 1954 to 1962. And the only reason he stopped is because he was arrested after the British arrested an entire group of spies and found microfilm in these documents. And they basically realized that the only person that would have access to these documents would be John. John Vassal was convicted of espionage and served 10 years of an 18 year sentence because it was blackmail. blackmail. I mean, think about this time, like he's gay, like he can't just go and be like, hey, I'm I'm," these pictures came out with me like they would be so they would probably do underage. Yeah. And gay. Right. And but like he could go to them and be like, hey, like this happened. Like I'm they're forcing me to be a spy. But he was so afraid that they wouldn't believe him because they would they wouldn't be able to see past their homophobic tendencies yeah wow so that's really fucking sad shitty situation moving on to the last one ego special agent robert hansen had become a specialist in counterintelligence his entire job was to uncover spies counterintelligence is someone that's inside working to push info out and in 1979 hansen goes to the antwerp trade organization offices in manhattan this place was actually a cover company for soviet military intelligence and hansen knew this because he specialized in counterintelligence right so he walks in there and he says Hey, uh, I'll start selling you U.S. secrets, but you got to pay me well because I need cash. So to prove himself, Hansen betrayed the U.S.'s most important mole, Major General Dmitry Polakov. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, but his code name was Top Hat. We, we both could do an entire on Top Hat. I kind of love that. an entire thing on him. He is a very, very, and very, he worked for the U.S. He worked for the U.S. He was a high up general. And this guy walked Major in there and general. said, he's a mole for the In US. the KGB. He was like the top of the KGB. Wow. And he was a mole for us. Wow. Somehow, after this, Hansen's wife finds out, because she's like, where the fuck did this money come from? Yeah. Loses her fucking shit, threatens to leave him, turn his ass in, and take all his money and leave. <laughs> so he stops. Because he's like, I don't want to lose my, my wife over this. She's or my life. crazy or my life. So he stops for five years, just continues working for the FBI, doesn't really go back. But then in 1985, Hansen needed money. He had gotten himself in some debt, didn't want to tell his wife. And then he didn't get a promotion that he felt like he was promised by the FBI, like someone that was younger than him passed him up. Oh, shit. For a good fucking reason. Clearly, you're, you're a mole. You're, you're a mole. 
So whatever. You suck. And so now he's so fucking pissed that he sells his soul to the Soviets once again. First betraying three KGB officers that were secretly working for the FBI, two of which were executed. For this, Hanson was given $100,000. Three people's heads, $100,000. That's it. For the next 16 years, Hansen spied for the Soviets, handing over the names of all FBI agents, every technical program on U.S. surveillance platforms in Russia and America's continuity of government program. He made over $1 million in cash and diamonds from the KGB for this, and he got away with it by using a Palm Pilot with encryption programs and dead drops for material exchanges. Wow. But then an unknown Russian source who was codenamed the Avenger. Shut up. This is so sick. Sold the KGB's files, all of the KGB's files that they had on the U.S. to the FBI for seven mil. See, at least the U.S. pays well. Yeah, seven mil. But I feel like that person, the Avenger, could have gotten about 17 mil. Bro loved Marvel Comics. He just wanted to be Captain America. Bro could have gotten a bill. He was in Russia and he wanted to be Captain America. 100%. And all of the files had Hansen's fingerprints on them. So him thinking he's being fucking smart. No. no. You forgot Avenger. about the basics, babe. You forgot about the Avengers. So. Yeah, you forgot about the Avengers. So just chill out. Five weeks before 56-year-old Hansen was set to retire from the FBI, agents observed him performing a dead drop in Foxstone Park under a wooden footbridge in Vienna, Virginia, and arrested him. And all he could manage to say was, so this is how it ends. And his complete and utter shock. Robert Hansen was sentenced to life in prison at the Supermax Penitentiary in Colorado. Wow. So that's it. I actually think that my, you know, maybe this is not. No, that can't be accurate because the Supermax is like in the mountains. I believe. I think so. There is a a prison, like a max security prison that my sister used to live by. Marley, correct me if I'm wrong, but it had like Jared from Subway in there. And like Uh... it was fucking crazy. It looked crazy, dude. And it was just like her, her next door neighbor. What? Yeah. But it was so like... I can't lo- think of a safer place to live, kind of. The location of it was just so odd. Like, you, yeah. on the other side of the street, there's a subway. McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> there's a literal subway. subway. Jared from Subway's that's looking out the window like... Oh. Damn it. Yeah, no, that's crazy. No, that's crazy. No, the Max Penn... I think the Max Prison is like in the In the, the mountains. Rockies. It's in the Rockies. Yeah. Like, away, away. Yeah. Anyways, the last thing I have to say is that it's way... Like, now we don't really have spies and handlers, like in-person spies and handlers like of course we have it's a few. all digital because and the reason is, is because it, it's too hard to create a person with all the digital databases mm-hmm. that the world have has access to right you don't need a spy anymore you just need an iconic a hacker. hacker like used to you could go back five years worth of documents and be like oh you have a degree from the university of tennessee and Started we're born to these people you had a podcast for a bit you went and trained at this facility you left the united states and you came over here to russia to aid and whatever like you can make up a whole story and have documentations of it but now all, all these fuckers got to do is get on linkedin right and be like that's not right or their mutual connections don't make any sense i thought you were from virginia all your friends are from florida right so we're, how are we gonna do this yeah that is fucking crazy i do wonder i know we have them oh I, yeah i know there's moles and spies everywhere because yeah. everyone's fucking but like that but like i would hope that if i was a spy that it would be a moral, like, I'm following my moral compass. Spy. Yeah. But I know damn well, once I start being a spy, it's my fucking ego and greed coming through, bitch. <laughs> I'm going to be like, that'll cost but, you seven mil. But I will say that I don't think any amount of money could 
result in me executing another person for doing the same thing that I'm fucking doing. You know, you know I, what I mean? Like, that, that's disgusting. That and I don't, that's greed. I don't know that I would be able to betray my home yeah. like that. You know, like that puts not only you in danger, but your family in danger. Right. Every loved one, every friend, everything like every every ounce of safety that you have here as an American is put in danger because you wanted to get 50 grand. Exactly. All because you wanted 50 grand. Yeah. And you're giving up top U.S. secrets. Like, how the fuck do you think that benefits us at all? Right. You live here. I know you work for the KGB, but you don't live over there. Like, my guy. Dude, trust me. And like, when they come over and they want to attack certain places. They're not going to worry about you. They're going straight probably for the CIA headquarters where you work. Exactly. And they're not going to like pull you out of the burning building. They don't give a fuck about yeah. you. They're not going to pre-warn you. They're going to come right there. And if you're there, you're there. And like, look, we can all be like, I would turn on the U.S. You say that. But then when you fucking look like it doesn't matter if you're a, a citizen right. of it is the U.K. Home, like yeah. it, it is true. If you're a patriot or not. Right. It doesn't matter. It, it's the safety of you and your loved ones that you're putting mm -hmm. at risk. You point blank period i loved it good i'm glad like it from cool. my notebook yeah that was interesting shifting of the pages it would have been better on a legal pad i agree yeah but then the legal pad whoa, 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 flipping yeah. it over and <laughs> it all comes back you're like <laughs> literally I, and i almost thought about ripping them out and just like throwing them on the ground when i was done but then i was like i'll drop them i'm gonna fig you know those post those videos with the post-it cards it's like yes will you go or hi my name's morgan and it drops next yep one. my that's what you showed <laughs> me with every sentence and then so and so did it, drop the rock. And then y'all hear boom, 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 in yeah. the back. So funny. Anyways, I liked, loved your case today. You're still. Thanks. Everyone. And if you guys want to learn more about Sky, Sky, Spy Drama, Spy Drama, um, I totally learned spies. about these <gasps> cases. Please Shut the fuck up because I watched. loved Totally Spies. Which one were you? Orange? Oh, green hair had, or green, oh, yeah, green yeah, yeah, girl you're had right. red hair, red suit had blonde Yellow. hair. Yeah, I love this girl. Me too. That hair. was my favorite one too. I fucking loved her. And what were their names? Characters. I don't know, but I played the shit out of that game. Clover, game. Sam, and Alex. Yep. Love them. I need to watch this. Where can I watch? Yeah. Where can we watch that? I'm watching. Watch show, Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV. Shut the fuck up. Oh, I'm going to watch it. Oh, for $1.99. Oh, okay, fine. That's Whatever. fucking dollars. Are you joking? No, I played the shit out of that Game Boy game and I still yes. have it. And last time I went home, I think I like plugged it in. I never got to play it though. I forgot about it. Damn. Anyways, if you guys want to learn more, I learned about all these cases from Spycraft on Netflix. There, It's like seven episodes about the craziest CIA spy operations and like how spy operations go down by CIA people. Dope. It's really fucking sick. Anyways. Check it out. Probably not because it's a documentary and I'm over it. It's not even a documentary. It's just... I mean, it is, but it's not like how the documentaries that we've seen are recently. Like more reenactment vibe? Kind of, but just like really informative. It's kind of like watching the History Channel. Okay. It's more of a History Channel layout of like ancient aliens. I don't mind that. Yeah. See, it's so different. I love those. Yeah. Th that's my probably favorite form of like a documentary. Me too. Mine too. Okay. Love you guys. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.